Hello, welcome to Adapt, episode 38, which is brought to you by Smile and Hover. My name is Ryan Christoffel, and I'm joined by my co-host, Federico Vatici. How's it going, Federico? Hey, Ryan, I'm good. How are you? I'm pretty good. Pretty good. You know, we had another Apple event this week. <laughs> Yet again, three Apple events so far. It's a... Uh, it's fun. Like I've enjoyed getting to see all these different glimpses of Apple Park and seeing how Apple's team has kind of mixed up, you know, different shots and different things in each video. It's been fun. I'm I'm sure they're having fun with it. Um, but mm-hmm. this week was all about the Mac, which puts us in kind of a precarious position as an right. iPad <laughs> podcast because normally we wouldn't really talk about the Mac, you know, other than that one episode where you were away and so John and I talked about it a little bit. Um, <laughs> sure. But uh but this Mac, or I guess there's several Macs, but really all of them that have the new M1 chip are maybe more intriguing, I, I think more intriguing to both of us than any Mac has been in a while. Would you say that's true? Absolutely. This is the first time that I've actually been interested in, in talking about the Mac as, a, as an ecosystem, as a machine in general, like the fact that, that they have this new chip and Apple is having this big transition, it's the first time that I actually want to talk about it instead of just listening and getting honestly getting somewhat bored by the topic. This time, uh, this is actually very intriguing, I think. Yeah, same for me. Um, so we were going to do that today. I know it's an iPad podcast, but uh, as people who have used the iPad as their primary computer for a very long time, it is noteworthy that the Mac is interesting to us again. And so we wanted to talk about that, talk about the announcements, uh, talk about maybe the future of the Mac, how it relates to our use of the iPad. And so I kind of want to kick off the discussion with just um, a a big question to get it out of the way. Have you ordered a Mac this week? No, I haven't. Um, I I actually, I considered, right, um, for a brief moment, um, selling my Mac Mini. Uh, this is the I have the 2018 Mac Mini uh, with uh, I'm pretty sure, but I'm checking again. Um, yeah. Uh, oh no, actually, I thought I had 32 gigs of RAM. I, I have 16 gigs of RAM. Um, but in any case, I thought about swapping my Mac Mini for the new M1 Mac Mini um, because I'm very intrigued by it because I really want to use an Apple Silicon Mac. And then I thought maybe I should actually try the MacBook Air, which could be, you know, it could be fun to, to test as an experiment coming from the iPad Pro. How can I actually get work done on, on the MacBook Air with the M1 chip with, uh, you know, th- this new generation of, of Mac apps, but also the ability to install iPad apps from the Mac App Store. But then, I don't know, it just feels unnecessary as a, as a thing to buy. It's not like I'm buying a new pair of headphones. I'm actually purchasing a computer and I really don't want to sell my Mac mini right now, but I'm very intrigued by them. And uh, just the fact that I'm, that I think that, that, that I thought about it, that I went to the Apple store and I tried to configure a MacBook Air and a Mac mini, I think that's not worthy because it's the first time that I've, that I've ever done that, like in, in several years. Besi- I mean, except for 2018, when I really needed a new Mac for my podcasting job, like I don't usually go to the Apple store and play around with different configuration options, but I'm very intrigued by both the Mac mini and the MacBook Air. I think the MacBook Air more so than the MacBook Pro because I don't really need the Pro. I think the Air would be fine for me, but um, 
so far I'm resisting the temptation to just order a computer so I can try it. Even though I could actually re- return it in two weeks, I don't know. I haven't done anything yet. But what about you? So I did buy a MacBook Air. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, I, I bought a MacBook Air because, well, okay, there, there's a variety of reasons. We'll get into that shortly. Okay. Um, just save it for later. Yeah. Okay. Let's just say I, I, I bought a MacBook Air. It's coming sometime in the next couple of weeks, and uh, we'll we'll talk about why. But uh, leaving it at that, maybe let's talk through some of our just general impressions of the event and everything that that Apple announced. Um, you know, we kind of knew going into this event that it would be about the Mac. Uh, Apple even made that obvious with kind of the the little AR preview thing of the the Apple logo folding up and down like a laptop does. You know, they're not normally that obvious with kind of the event invitation, um, mm. you know, things that they do. But we kind of knew it was be about the Mac because we knew that Apple Silicon Macs were coming. And now they're here and there's three of them, the MacBook Air, Pro and Mini. Mini was a bit of a surprise. Um, yeah. A, I'm sorry for you knowing in the Rickies with connected, yeah, Stephen, yeah, that we we won't go into that. That's we we made fun of him, and he ended up sweeping the the Rickies. Yeah. So, mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, oh well. Um, so what is coming out of the event? What were your general impressions? You know, what were you thinking? You you said that this was more interesting than past Mac announcements, than past Mac news, but uh. But generally speaking, what do you think of the event? What do you think of Apple's announcements? Well, I think, first of all, the story itself of Apple taking control of its own future on on the Mac and making its own chips is fascinating in and of itself as a story. I think Apple, historically, they've always done this, um, making their own primary technologies that that they can fully control without relying on other companies. And so seeing them do this for the, the central component of the Mac line, I think is, is fascinating just because they're doing it. Uh, and I think what also st- stood out to me for this event specifically is just the raw numbers, right? The performance gains and the battery life improvements. I think those are incredible. Like we're talking here, 10, 15 hour improvements in battery life, depending on what you're doing with your computer, which is just incredible. Usually, on an on a year by year basis, we go like, yeah, it's got the same battery life of last year's model, even though it's more powerful. Or, you know, at the very least, we used to say the battery lasts one hour longer. But to say ten hours <laughs> or fifteen hours, I mean, that's just incredible. You're effectively doubling the battery life of a computer, um, and that's just because you have this new architecture, which you can fully control, which you've been testing if you're Apple for a decade on the iPhone and iPad, and it's fully optimized for power efficiency, and you know how to allocate resources, and this new memory architecture. Everything is so fascinating, um, technically speaking, but in practice, I think that's what stood out to me. I'm like, show me why are you doing this, and sure enough, you know, the battery lasts an hour longer. <laughs> and I mean, okay, that's, that's incredible. Um, what also, on the other hand, what also stood out to me uh, was the 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 lack of certain things that I was expecting from this event, um, ter- and and that I think it involves both the hardware and the software. 
in terms of the of the hardware um i was sort of expecting to see more thanks to the we used to say it's the it's going to be the A14x uh chip it's called the M1 even though it appears to be the A14x uh, based on the A14 architecture behind the scenes but anyway apple calls it the M1 we should call it the M1 too um i was expecting because of the M1 some features from the iPad right uh, like a promotion display, like maybe cellular connectivity or maybe touch, even though I kind of feared that it was too soon for touch. And I know that it's a, you know, touch input on the Mac. It's a contentious debate. There's some Mac users or at least a subset of the Mac community that we follow really doesn't want to see on the Mac, but I wanted to see that. I think I've, I've sort of come around with this idea. I think Apple should do it, but they haven't done it, right? And so these, these, uh, the, the MacBook Air and the, and the Pro and the Mini they look like, effectively, they look like the, the current models, except they have lost some features. Like, for example, I think um, these uh, new computers are limited to two USB-C uh, and Thunderbolt ports instead of, like, I think my Mac Mini has more of them. Um, so I, I was hoping that because of the M1, Apple could say, and now that, the, that we have a similar, you know, now that we have this chip that we make and that we've been fine-tuning over the years, we can do things like your Mac has a SIM card slot now, or maybe it's got a promotion display, but we, we didn't see any of that because maybe it's too soon, I don't know. And in terms of the software, uh, two things I want to point out. I was expecting to, to get more details on how exactly we're going to be able to install and use iPhone and iPad apps on the Mac. We saw some screenshots. Apple confirmed you're going to be able to use iOS apps on the Mac but we didn't get any details of how that actually is going to work for users. Like, are you just going to open the Mac App Store and you're going to find iOS apps in there? What's the process of downloading them? Where are you going to find settings for those apps in Big Sur? That's not clear yet. Uh, what happens to apps that are not available, right? Uh, or features that maybe are not available. Like, what happens if you install an, an iPad app that the developer verified for Big Sur but what happens if that app also offers Siri shortcuts? Does the Siri shortcuts menu inside the app just not work on the Mac? So all these details we didn't get. And I'm sure maybe, you know, reviewers will address them in their, in their initial coverage of these computers. And secondly, I, was, I, I kept waiting during the event for Apple to say something along the lines of, and now that we have this M1 chip, here's what we can do on macOS in terms of new software features. You mentioned connected, and one of my predictions on connected, which obviously didn't come true, was the addition of a low power mode to macOS. And 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 I made that prediction because I was really hoping to see what the new hardware would enable in terms of software, besides you know install uh, using iOS apps on the Mac, which we already knew before. I was hoping to see some new uh, Mac uh, Big Sur feature revealed at the event. And it didn't happen. And the event was very focused on performance and numbers, which, as I mentioned, were impressive. But I sort of got the feeling during the, the latter portion of the event, by the third Mac that was announced, that it, was, that it got sort of boring. Because the whole event was just about numbers and very little, if, if nothing at all, about the software. Yeah, I, I, similarly, I, I felt like in some ways what Apple announced was really, really impressive. I mean, the numbers that they were able to share of performance gains and battery gains were just beyond what is normally possible, 
right? Yep. And it and it shows why Apple Silicon had to be the path that they took forward. Um, they had to ditch Intel, and and arguably, you know, if they could have, it would have been better for them to do it a few years ago because yeah. it's yeah. just amazing what they can do with their own chips. And so, on one hand, like all of that was really, really, really impressive, but then there were lots of things that I was expecting to see that that didn't happen. I mean, you mentioned some of them. Uh, cellular, it would have been really neat to to have an option for like a 5G cellular MacBook Air. I mean, that would be great. Um, ProMotion, I, you know, that would be nice as well. Um, definitely touch input. I, I think these are things that we're going to see eventually. And, and Apple kind of laying the groundwork for, you know, the new era of the Mac with these M1 chips. I, I think it's, it's just the beginning. Uh, certainly, they're going to bring other Mac-specific chips to other Macs, such as the Mac Pro. You know, they've talked about having a family of chips that they're going to use. But I also think that, you know, t- today is just kind of the foundation, and now they can build upon it with some of those things that, uh, that we know and love from the iPad or from the iPhone. Um, another thing that I was kind of expecting and hoping for was Face ID. And even over the course of the event, when you know they announced the MacBook Air, they announced the Mini, and then based on rumors, I was expecting and you know looking at the clock, I was like, okay, they still have time to announce the MacBook Pro. But I was thinking, it seems like if they're going to have the same exact chip in both the Air and the Pro, then they need more features to differentiate the two. And so I was like, oh, okay, MacBook Pro, that's probably going to have Face ID. That's going to be the thing that differentiates it because that's what Apple does with the iPad. You know, you've got the iPad Air with Touch ID, the iPad Pro with Face ID. And there, we've talked about this before, but Apple has to show why the Pro is worth it. And I'm not sure that they've really done that with the MacBook Pro, Um, at least not not to the extent that I would hope they would. Like, yes, there are differences, but depending on how you look at it, like the Air is more appealing in some ways. So for me personally, like I said, I, I bought an Air and I, I debated briefly um, whether I'd go with an Air or a Pro because price-wise, they're not too different. Um, but with the Air, you actually have the physical function keys, which I think I would prefer over the touch bar um, yeah. I know the touch bar is supposed to be like a premium feature on the MacBook Pro, but uh, for me, I would actually... Is you know, it though? Yeah. Is it really? <laughs> it, exactly. And so I would rather have the physical function keys. I also really like the kind of the, the design of the Air more, just the physical design of the computer more than the Pro. Um, if the Pro had had Face ID, I think that would have pushed me over to ordering the Pro instead, but it wasn't there. And so instead you just get, well, both models are are faster, both have better battery life. Um, the Pro has a fan, which depending on your work, that can be a pro or a con. You know, it can help you get max performance out of the the M1 that the Air won't necessarily be able to sustain because it doesn't have a fan. But for me personally, I'm, I like the idea of a fanless computer. And so the Air is, is actually a, a more appealing computer to me overall because some of those kind of extra premium features aren't in the pro and so i was a little surprised that there wasn't anything to make the pro more compelling um another thing that was disappointing is no 1080p camera it's still 780p i mean i know that they're doing some things with the neural engine to supposedly improve how things look um 
but that that was still kind of a letdown, especially since lots of these things are things that the iPad has had for years. And the Mac's starting to catch up, and this is a, a new beginning for the Mac, and so hopefully in the future it will add those things and it won't kind of be lagging behind the iPad the way that it is now. But uh, but I was surprised that we didn't get a little more um, from the hardware. What yeah. they gave us was impressive, and maybe it's just that if they added much more, then it would have made every other Mac just completely obsolete in some ways, yeah. right? I mean, they're they're already kind of doing that in terms of performance and battery life. But if you also added touch input, if you also added a cellular option and ProMotion and Face ID and all this stuff, then you know they can't update the whole line at once. It's it's really impressive, yeah. honestly, that they're updating the Air Pro and Mini all at once. But uh, but if you added all of that, then then any Intel Mac would just seem like, you know, it's it's years old compared to the new Mac. Yeah. So I kind of yeah. understand that, and maybe that's part of the reasoning for it. But yeah, I do as well. And we also need to consider how, like, besides the the shiny new computer that you can buy from the Apple Store, like this is a massive transition, right? That includes the 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 low level operating system and things like universal apps and things like Rosetta Two, for example. It's a massive undertaking to do this kind of um, uh, CPU transition from one architecture to another. And all of this is happening during a pandemic. Like, I think I would have liked to see some of these things, but I think we can cut Apple some slack in this case because uh, like all the things that you mentioned also, like you don't want to uh, make the, the rest of the lineup obsolete on day one with these computers. And I think it makes more sense this is the Apple approach, right? They they don't do everything at once at the risk of doing a subpar job with some features. They do it in multiple iterations. And I think I understand, like I would have liked to see things like at the very least, like a 1080p camera or face ID and, and, and cellular connectivity. But at the same time, I think I'm not totally surprised. Like I should have seen this coming. Uh, we know how Apple operates. They they do these things in steps. And I think at this point, at the very least, we have a blueprint for what to expect in future Mac models, right? These are all features that Apple should add to the future of the lineup. So it's fine. And this is happening in 2020, which I can expect, you know, it's already difficult as it is as a, as a massive transition for the Mac. And I think this year has only made it more challenging for Apple engineers to get this done. So I think it's fine. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, I want to talk about, you know, we have this M1 now, and we're assuming there's going to be an A14X in the next iPad Pro. So yeah. what what will the difference between those two things be? Um, so I want to get into that. But first, let me uh, thank our first sponsor for today. Uh, this episode of Adapt is brought to you by PDF Pen from our friends at Smile. If you are searching for a powerful PDF editing tool for your Mac, iPad, or iPhone, Look no further than PDF Pen. Whether you're on the road or at your desk, need advanced editing features, or you just want to sign and email back a contract, PDF Pen has you covered. It's the ultimate tool for editing PDFs on the Mac, and now it includes even more powerful features, like page label support in multiple formats for documents. And pro users can go a step further with the ability to add or edit page labels. These features are in addition to the great features available in PDF Pen 12, including a magnifier window, so you can easily zoom in on a document, a customizable compression settings, and stationery with new paper colors for custom page designs. 
And you can check out the Smile blog for articles on how to take notes on iPad using PDF Pen and the safety of PDF Pen editors. The iPad has long been the best device to read and annotate PDFs on, and that became even more true when the Apple Pencil launched. So if PDFs are at all a part of your daily workflow, whether at your work, for school, or for any other reason, be sure to check out PDF Pen. PDF Pen, PDF Pen Pro, and PDF Pen for iPad and iPhone all work together for seamless editing across devices when used with Dropbox or iCloud. Learn more about PDF Pen and PDF Pen Pro at smilesoftware.com slash podcast. That's smilesoftware.com slash podcast. Our thanks to PDF Pen from Smile for their support of this show and Relay FM. So going into this event, um, many people kind of expected that the chip Applewood announced would be essentially an A14X. I mean, maybe wouldn't be called that. Maybe it would. And it turns out that it's not called that. It's called the M1. And Apple really hit on the point that this is a very Mac-specific chip. But we're expecting new iPad Pros, at least one model, uh, next year. Um, potentially Q1 sometime in the spring. And you'd have to assume that the iPad Pro is going to have an A14X, like just following the pattern of what Apple tends to do is they'll release the new iPhone chip and then there'll be a new iPad a little bit later, the iPad Pro that has an X version of that chip. And so I'm assuming that's what's going to happen here. I definitely don't think they're going to put an M1 in an iPad Pro since the M presumably stands for Mac. So what? I, I don't know. What do you think mm-hmm. any differences there may be between the M1 and the A14X? Like, mm-hmm. why why does Apple need to keep these, you know, these chip sets different? Why, why couldn't the Mac have just had an A14X and then put the same thing in the iPad? What do you think, Federico? Right. That's a very good question. So obviously, it appears to be based on the A14 architecture. I saw this morning uh, an article by Anantech and they are dissecting the news that they got from Apple yesterday. And it appears that, judging from what Apple said, it appears to be based on the A14 architecture. Now, obviously, the question is, why does it need to be different on the Mac? And I think it ultimately comes down to what you need to do with this, with this chip, right? And especially if you consider how Apple operates, they don't, make, they don't care about the specs for specs alone. They care about the specs in the context of what they enable a computer to do and what they empower you to do with the computer. So I think if you think about it this way, the Mac needs certain things that the iPad doesn't need for the way that you use that device. On the Mac, you you know, like it or not, you have access to all kinds of pro apps. These are video editing, photo editing, 3D modeling, machine learning apps, Things that allow that that require a certain level of performance, right? Whether you are editing multiple 8K streams and color grading them and previewing them, or whether you're designing a video game or 3D assets, and you just don't have those apps on iPad, right? You have some versions of those apps, but you don't have Final Cut. You don't have, um, you know, the same version of Shaper 3D, for example. Um, and so the Mac needs, you know, access to 16 gigs of RAM. 32 gigs of RAM, sometimes even more if you are a Mac Pro user, for sure. Um, Because the experience of using, like, you buy a Mac 
especially for a pro user, because you need a certain level of pro performance. You need a, you know, multitasking. You need to manage uh, multiple windows across multiple displays, right? And so that's why I think Apple is thinking about this in a in a slightly different way, and not just taking the A14 chip and putting it into a MacBook Air. They are, I guess, no. My understanding, my interpretation, at least, is they are optimizing this architecture for the Mac because the Mac is different from the iPad Pro. Now, the iPad Pro is also called an iPad Pro. It's for Pro users, and and in the context of well, now that Apple has done the M1, and if we assume that the A14X is coming next to the iPad Pro, what, why, what kind of Pro-level performance does Apple need to achieve on the iPad Pro? Like, what else has to, to, to like, what could possibly be coming to the iPad Pro that justifies an M1 level of performance? And I think, again, you need to consider how these specs relate to the experience of using a device. And so what could be done on the iPad Pro that is not possible now? And so I made a list of potential features that that maybe could make sense in the iPad Pro line. Bigger display, like we talked about it before, I would love to see a 15-inch or a 16-inch iPad Pro, right? And obviously, if you want to have a bigger display, it means more pixels to push. It means you need to have a more powerful uh, chip to drive it. Um, also, maybe a denser display, maybe uh, an even higher resolution display. Maybe maybe it's an OLED display. Uh, well, maybe not OLED, but mini mini LED, but whatever. You get the point. Maybe Apple wants to do an even crisper and and denser ret- liquid retina display for the iPad Pro. Obviously, one of the features uh, you know that that combines both hardware and software in terms of what it enables uh, that we mentioned many times before on the show real support for external displays. And obviously, a computer that wants to drive an external 4K or 5K display needs a powerful CPU, needs a powerful GPU to drive it. And, you know, the M1, considering how it does enable external display support on the Mac, not to the same extent of of older Intel-based computers, but I believe you can still attach a 4K or 5K display to this new M1-powered Macs, Obviously, an M1 level um, A14 chip, A14X chip, it would enable that. But obviously, that needs to have that needs to be supported in the software as well. Um, and maybe, uh, in terms of just apps that you can use on the iPad, maybe it's time that the iPad Pro gets stuff like Logic and Final Cut. You know, we, we an Xcode. Obviously, I mean, we still haven't seen those Pro apps from Apple arrive on iPadOS. And I think it's about time that the iPad Pro receives these kind of apps. But we put, potentially, we could be looking at major multitasking changes in iPadOS 15 as well, right? But we talked about this in the context of iPadOS 14 this year and how multitasking is one of those areas that Apple didn't exactly improve on iPad because they focused on, on um, the new multi-column layout and sidebars and the home screen, well, the home screen to a certain extent. Um, but we didn't see any multitasking improvements. And maybe that's coming next year. Maybe Apple has some major additions to multitasking. And, and you know, if they're working on a bigger iPad Pro, maybe you will be able to use three apps in Split View. Or maybe they are considering, finally, uh, real background APIs to do things, to have utilities and apps constantly running in the background, like you can do on the Mac for things like clipboard managers, for example. Maybe that's one of the things they're doing on iPadOS. 
So I think there's a few things that I would like to see in terms of hardware, a bigger iPad, a bigger display, a denser display, uh, external display support as well. And there's a few things that I would like to see in the software. Uh, pro apps, new multitasking, real background utilities. I'm not sure, like, I don't know, right? Because I, I don't work at Apple. I don't know if the current A12Z chip can drive such features, but I would expect that an, an, a potential future A14X with M1 level kind of performance could, je- could definitely power those functionalities. So maybe, that, maybe that's why, you know, the, the Apple has done the M1, M1 first and they're doing, you know, the A14X uh, next year. But this is all. This is just speculation. Uh, I don't know, Ryan. Can you think of anything else that, like, that you would like to do on iPad right now, but which could potentially be limited by the current hardware? I mean, those are really the the things. I, especially the software features. Like, I would love to to have the ability to, you know, do different types of multitasking. Maybe three apps on screen. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, the, the iPad in 2018 and, and really the story for a while with the iPad Pro has been that the, you know, the, the hardware was ahead of the software. The, the hardware was so powerful, um, especially like the A12X at the time. It was so powerful and it was you know, just as powerful as a Mac in many respects, but uh, iPad OS wasn't quite evolving at the same pace. And so, you know, maybe Apple will do something there, but I don't know. I mean, I, I don't particularly have any big things on my feature wish list. I mean, the only thing that I can really think of that that justifies having, um, you know, a different M1 and A14X chip is just that, you know, the the form factors of MacBooks and and other Macs like the Mac Mini and the iPad are are different, and so they have to kind of prioritize different things. Um, you know, the iPad Pro is is just a single slate with the with the screen built in where everything else is it doesn't have like the a fold up separate display like the Macs have more room for things they have more battery all that stuff and so i guess they just optimize the chips for different things uh, i don't really know how all this works but um it, it seems strange like I, i'll be curious to see kind of what the story is around the a14x uh, assuming that that's what they do in the next ipad pro just to hear like you know why why is this different what's the point of having a different named chip um, than than what's available on the Mac or or otherwise. So yeah, it's just something that uh, is kind of one of those question marks moving forward. Because I was kind of thinking, oh, they'll just stick with A14X and it'll be in the Macs and it'll mm-hmm. be in the iPads. And you know, for the more powerful Macs in the future, like a Mac Pro, they'll have some totally different class of chip. But uh, but yeah, so it, I was a little surprised that there is an M1 and assume that they're still going to be an A14X. So we'll see what the difference is later down the line. Um, I want to talk about, I guess, why I bought a new Mac. <laughs> Just okay. uh, really what it comes down to, because I, I didn't, I have a Mac mini now. Uh, I, I have a Mac mini that I've used for about a year and a half. Um, the main thing I do with it is podcasting. Uh, lately, that has started to change. So I got a new job recently that has um, different requirements that the iPad is not quite as well suited for. Um, so for example, Zoom, <laughs> everyone's everyone's favorite thing of 2020, Zoom. No, um, 
exciting yeah so i've i have a lot more zoom calls a lot more video calls in my life now than i did before and really the the ipad is just not as great for that i think we've talked about that in the past but the ipad version of zoom doesn't let you do near as much as the mac version you can't truly multitask because if you put another app on screen then it shuts off the camera um it's just not great and then the camera location on the ipad pro if you're using it in landscape is on the left side it looks really strange uh like your camera view so so what i've been doing is i've been using the mac mini more regularly for video calls and uh kind of by necessity i need a mac laptop because the mac mini is set up at the desk where my wife works she's worked from home since march and uh and so essentially nearly every day I have to be like, oh, hey, can I use the desk starting at this time or, you know, and and boot her off so that I can use the Mac mini for video calls. And so I've needed a Mac laptop because of that, Mm. um, because my work itself has changed, not because, you know, there's anything about the iPad that is pushing me away from it and pushing me to the Mac. Um, But my work itself has changed. And so as a result, the Mac has become more important to me. But it, it also wasn't, it wasn't like a, a, a purchase that I kind of grudgingly did, like, oh, I have to get, you know, a Mac so that I can do these video calls more conveniently, and so I'll buy one. Um, I'm actually really excited about what Apple's doing with the Mac. Um, the, the hardware that was announced this week was great, but Big Sur as well is something that uh, I'm really intrigued to try out. I, I haven't used the beta or anything, but I really like the design changes. Uh, I really like the fact that thanks to kind of some of the changes in the way that apps are built, um, improvements to Mac Catalyst, and then kind of the continued evolution of Swift UI, that apps on the Mac are hopefully going to be able to keep up with uh, the progress that those apps make on the iPhone and the iPad. So like this year in Big Sur, you've got the, the full Messages app that is on iPad and iPhone, and... Mm-hmm. That's really nice. Uh, it's nice that the Mac is not going to have to be like a second-class citizen in some ways with apps that only have a subset of the features that are found on other platforms. And that's something that's really bugged me for years is like you've got all the latest and greatest stuff on the iPad and iPhone and the Mac's just kind of sitting there and yeah, slowly over time, it'll add some of those features, but it's not really going to have feature parity. And, and so... You know, for me, because of the changes that Apple has made this year to the Mac, the Mac really doesn't feel like a legacy platform to me anymore. And it used to. Like for the longest time, it really felt like Apple was just kind of letting it sit there. And yeah, they were doing things to to improve it, but but ultimately, it didn't seem to have that bright of a future. And now I think that's changed. Um, I think with Apple Silicon, with Big Sur. And some of the development changes, like Apple is actually setting the Mac up for a bright future and for success and to be its own differentiated product, not just because of, you know, what it used to be, like it's it's a traditional computer versus the iPad, which is a kind of a, a fresh take on computing, not just because of that, but because Apple is really trying to innovate um, on both platforms. And so I find all that really intriguing and exciting. And so the Mac is more exciting to me than it has been a long time. So I bought the MacBook Air, uh, excited to use it, uh, excited to try out Big Sur, 
excited to see kind of what you know what differences there will be versus my normal use of the iPad Pro. Um, as I mentioned, I, you know the the Zoom stuff is going to be nice, but uh, just things I've noticed as I've been using the Mac Mini a little bit more in the last uh, month or two is you know there are other apps that offer features that aren't quite there on the iPad, um, like Slack, for example, which I use all day long. Uh, I know people like to rag on the the Slack Mac app, and I'm sure like from a performance standpoint and the way it it drains, you know, uh, just computing power that that's not good. But there are some features that I, I just find are are better on the Mac app. Um, you can see who reacted to a message, uh, like if mm. you you know, I I I use message reactions all the time, and lots of people do, right? I'll add a thumbs up or I'll add you know whatever it may be to different messages. In the iPad app, you have no idea who added those, right? No, oh, you can do that. Really? Okay, tell you me can. how. Tell me how. Oh, this is a teacher tip, I guess. How, how do you do that? <laughs> You're going to be sorry you bought a Mac. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. I'm going to take you it need back. To... <laughs> I can cancel my order. <laughs> you need to long press the reaction. So you long press on someone's reaction? Yeah, and Slack shows you a pop-up. Oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, you should have asked before. You should well, have brought this up before. <laughs> okay, but I should have. But even that, like, I would have thought that if I long press on a reaction, I'm going to, well, because if you tap on the reaction, it's going to add yes. another one yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. And so the idea yeah. of tap it and hold it, it won't add yeah, a reaction, no. but it will show you, like, that's not it's not great <laughs> it's not but, great it's, but that's no oh, that's really exciting because now i can do it on my phone as well okay thank you for the teachy tip sure um <laughs> yeah so you know with with slack on the mac you can kind of hover over it and it'll show you who reacted to it um i really like how saved and pinned messages are more prominent in the mac app um with the ipad you kind of have to open the the side little panel and jump through a couple screens and it just seems like they're hidden. So, you know, I'm looking forward to using the Mac version of Slack more often. Um, but then there are also just things that Mac OS can do, like having system-wide custom keyboard shortcuts. Um, we, you talked about just briefly uh, background privileges for apps to run constantly in the background. Uh, and this is kind of related to that. Like something I've been doing on my Mac Mini is I set up a keyboard shortcut for Todoist, the task manager I'm using now, to create a new task by hitting Command T wherever I am on the system. And so I'll be doing other things, and then I think, oh, here's a task I need to create. Hit Command T, and then a little pop-up window, you know, a little pop-up box um, opens on top of everything else I'm doing. I can type in my task, hit Enter, it goes away. It's great. Like, it's a really quick, seamless flow. And uh, there are other shortcuts that I want to use more regularly with the MacBook Air, um, like Siri, for example. Uh, we've talked about how I'm really happy that Apple is making some some good improvements to Siri, and I would love to have a keyboard shortcut on the iPad for invoking Siri, but it's not available right now, and that is an option on the Mac. And there's so many other things as I've been poking around, like uh, system preferences, the custom keyboard shortcuts that you can set up to do all kinds of things, no matter what app you're using. Whereas on the iPad, you really have to be in that specific app to activate uh, a given keyboard shortcut. And so because I've been using my Mac Mini a little bit more, I've started like trying to do this on the iPad sometimes. So like the other day, 
I was um, on my iPad and I wanted to share uh, an article that uh, John had written on Mac Stories. And normally I use the Linky share extension. And so I was like, oh, okay, I'm just going to pull up the share extension. And I put my hands on the keyboard like I was about to hit a keyboard shortcut to load the share extension because that just feels like something that I should be able mm. to do is, yeah. right, I'm, I'm in Safari and, oh, I'm going to share this page by tweeting about it. And so let me hit this custom keyboard shortcut and it will invoke the share extension. Then I can just start typing what I'm going to type into the tweet. No, you can't do that. You have to tap the share sheet and then tap the linky share extension. Um, but things like that are more, you know, more customizable on the Mac where you can set up the exact like shortcuts for how to do different actions. And um, so I like that. I like how uh, with toolbars on the Mac, you can actually customize them with the different uh, controls that you want available to you. Um, on the iPad, it's it's kind of a set thing. You The toolbar, uh, the, the different menu options are just the way they are, and that's what you get. So there are more customization options on the Mac. And then I also am really looking forward to having tabs for document-based apps. Uh, Apple added this a few years ago on the Mac yeah. where not just in Safari can you have tabs, but in you know uh, Pages, in Ulysses, for example, supports uh, tabs on the Mac. Uh, Apple Notes does not for some reason. I'm not sure why Apple doesn't do that. I'd love to have tabs in my Notes app, um, but I, I've been using tabs for like preview windows to keep different documents next to each other in separate tabs. And it's a really nice system. Um, I'm not sure why it's not on the iPad. It seems like Apple could do that in addition to kind of the current multi-window functionality. But but, but yeah, so those are all things that I'm excited to use on the Mac. And and we'll see how it goes. You know, I've been using the iPad Pro as my main computer for five years. And um, I'm planning to use this MacBook Air mostly as my main computer, right? I'm still going to use the iPad pretty heavily. Um, but really what I what I hope to see from the iPad and really what I think my ideal iPad would be if I do end up really liking this MacBook Air is uh, the, the futuristic iPad mini that we've talked about in the past. Um, I actually have an iPhone 12 mini coming later this week. And so I'm thinking like, oh, MacBook Air with the iPhone mini, and an iPad mini, what a great like combination mm. of devices. <laughs> um, but who knows what Apple's going to do with the iPad mini in the future. For now, I'll, I'll have my iPad Pro. I'll still use it for things that are, are pencil-related or apps that aren't available on the Mac. And hey, maybe I won't end up liking the Mac, and I'll return it in a couple weeks. But um, given my current work requirements, I doubt that's the case, just because right. Zoom and all that is so terrible. I mean, <laughs> it's kind of funny to think that you know, 2020 has driven me to get a Mac because of the need for video calls. Like that just, that seems like a depressing sentence, you know, it's like the state (laughs) of the world now. You got to do video calls all day long. And as a result, you got to get a Mac instead. Like, oh, that's a, yeah, that's kind of a depressing sentence. So I'm glad that Apple has actually made a lot of positive changes on the Mac this year. Otherwise I would be like, uh, I'm going to buy a Mac, but I don't, not really happy about it, but now I'm actually excited because I think there's a lot of good things going on on the Mac. Yeah, well, thank you for the explanation. Uh, I think it totally makes sense that you've done this. I'm really curious to hear maybe the next episode we should talk about your experience with the MacBook Air, I guess. Um, 
and especially using those iPad apps on the Mac. If there's any that that you end that you end up using, I want to hear about it. So this is gonna be fun. Um, was not expecting this. I'm surprised, but I think it also makes sense now that you've explained it. Yeah, I'm hoping that I will have the MacBook Air before the next episode. Um, I ordered it right away, and you know, technically, some machines I guess are shipping next week, but. I upped my storage and RAM uh, mm. over the base model. And so I'm getting 16 gigs of RAM, a 512 nice. gigs SSD. And as a result, I think it, it pushed it back. So it's supposed to come in the week after next. So okay. we'll see. Hopefully I will have time. And, and I'm, I'm actually hoping that Apple ends up shipping it early because sometimes that happens, right? They Just, do that. Yes. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, hopefully I'll have a chance to to try things out to see what the experience of using iPad apps with you know just the standard Mac cursor and no touch support what that's going to be like. Um, I think it'll be better than not having them for sure. But I'm also really curious to find out how many apps are going to be there, right? Like how many um, developers are opting out of including their iPad apps on the Mac. I hope not too many, but that's kind of one of those big question marks right now. Right. Not not only do we not know kind of what iPhone and iPad apps in the Mac App Store will look like and, and just what the experience will be of, of finding them and downloading them, but also, you know, what how many of them are, are gonna be there. Um Apple showed a few at uh in, in its event and I was browsing the uh I think it was the page for the MacBook Air on Apple.com and at one point it mentions, you know, running iPhone and iPad apps. And um, it it showed a few apps that were like kind of featured at the keynote. Um, like it showed the HBO Max app, which received prominent placement. So that's that's one app for sure that's going to be on the Mac. Um, but it also like it was a little grid of different apps, and lots of those apps were Apple apps, which already are on the Mac. And so it it doesn't make sense that you would run iPad versions of you know. Apple apps on the Mac when the Mac already has its own version of those apps. So my kind of thinking was they had to feature their own apps because there aren't enough third-party apps that they know are going to be supported that they could feature. I'm a little hesitant to see like how many iPhone and iPad apps will we actually be able to run on the Mac? Hopefully plenty, but that's one of those question marks that we'll, we'll see about in the next few weeks. So, um, Let me thank another sponsor, and then uh, we haven't done any Q&A in a little while. we got some Ask Adapt questions to answer. Maybe we can do that before we wrap up the show. Uh, but for now, uh, this episode of Adapt is also brought to you by Hover, one of RelayFM's longest-running sponsors. When you have that one big idea, where do you go? Well, your business starts with a domain name. So for many entrepreneurs, Hover is that big leap. You know, I've used Hover for more than a decade now, uh, and it works so well that I've never had a reason to look elsewhere. It's hard to underscore the importance of a domain name enough. I mean, it's a way to turn what was once just an idea into something real, something that's out there for the world to see. Every time I secure a new domain, it's like the start of a new journey that I'm going on. Uh, Hover has over 300 domain name extensions to choose from, so no matter what you want to build, there's a domain name waiting for it. They have excellent technical support to answer any questions you may have, and and that support, they're not trying to upsell you on anything. 
They are focused on getting you online, on really giving you the help that you need. Uh, .inc is a new premium domain extension for businesses that want to be taken seriously. Uh, Have you checked if your brand name is currently available for purchase to the public? Don't let someone else beat you to your brand's .inc domain. From small startups to large enterprises, brands are taking notice of the credibility of a .inc domain. Over 56% of Forbes' most valuable brands are registered, including PayPal, Facebook, Fox, Amazon, and Walmart. Hover has free who is privacy, so the bad guys don't get your information, uh, a clean UX and UI, monthly sales on popular top-level domains. It's easy to see why Hover is the popular choice for people starting businesses. Millions of company names end with Inc. now. Now your domain name can end with that too. Upgrade your domain to the perfect match. Join over 56% of Forbes' most valuable brands and register your .inc. domain today. Go to hover.com slash adapt and get a 10% discount on all new purchases. Make a name for yourself with Hover. That URL one more time is hover.com slash adapt. Our thanks to Hover for their support of this show and Relay FM. All right, a few Ask Adapt questions before we uh, close out today. Uh, Douglas asks, is the iOS Files app supposed to index iCloud Drive files content or not? Uh, I seem Mm. to be able to only search for file names, but not content from either iPhone or iPad running iOS and iPadOS 14. Can you only do that on a Mac? So Douglas is talking Mm. about, you know, using the search function to find content that's stored inside of files rather than just file names. Do you know, Federico, if the Files app can do this? I don't think it does that. I don't think it's supported. I think it's a, it's a finder-only feature. I don't recall being able to find, say, like a word contained inside a PDF document on my iPhone or iPad. I use third-party apps for that. Um, so I don't think the Files app on iOS and iPadOS actually indexes file content, uh, which is too bad. I use, uh, I've used Keep It and DevonThink highlights, you know, those kinds of apps for PDFs, for example. This is one of those things that I would really like to see done better on on iOS and iPadOS. Uh, And additionally, I think whenever Apple does that, because I think, you know, in the end, they will. And when they do, I really hope that they combine that feature with things like um, smart folders and saved searches. I think it would be really lovely to have that kind of feature where you can put together like a saved search that shows you, for example, documents that match a certain file type, but also that contain uh, certain content inside of them. So right now it's not supported. Um, I use, Devon think is really good. I think they, they are working on a, on a major update that's been in test flight for a long time. Um, I don't think there's anything better than Devon think when it comes to content search for documents, for all kinds of documents. But this is something that I really hope iCloud Drive gets eventually in, in files. Uh, Abe asks if we can talk about workflows for annotating Safari web pages with Apple Pencil. Oh, I um, never do that, do you, Ryan? I do, do sometimes, you? not too often. Okay. But you know, I was I saw this question and I was playing around. The iPad really has great support for this. In that, there's a couple things. You know, first is there's a pencil gesture that I really forget about most of the time, but you can. Uh, with your pencil, swipe up 
from one of the corners of the display and it will take a screenshot. And so rather than pushing any buttons on the iPad, rather than you know using a keyboard shortcut, you can use your pencil to quickly take a screenshot of a page in Safari just by swiping up from a corner with the pencil. And then iPadOS has this feature where instead of just capturing you know, the, the screenshot itself, the, the part of the page that was visible on screen, at the top of the page, you'll see a full page option that you can tap on. And then what it does is it takes the entire web page, saves it as a PDF, and you can annotate it from there with your pencil. And so I think Apple has built in a, a really great native experience for annotating web pages with the pencil. Swipe up in the corner, tap to full page view, and then you can just write away and it'll save it as a PDF. Um, so it's not something that I do a lot, but iPadOS has some great support for this. Um, this next question, I think, will be a good one for you, Federico, because it has the word shortcuts in it. Um, it is from BB8, apparently. Uh, it says, which combination of shelf text editor and email app would you recommend for powerful shortcuts? Um, mentions any buffer or Apple Mail. Um, so a, a shelf text editor. So I guess a shelf app that also can edit text and then an email app that, you know, in both cases integrates with shortcuts. Mm. What what are your recommendations here? Chef text editor. Um, hmm. Either any buffer or Yoink, I think, are your best bets when it comes to shelf apps that have text support and shortcuts integration. I think especially any buffer, they're working on some really excellent upgrades for shortcuts for the new disambiguation uh, API of uh, in iOS and iPadOS 14. That's going to be very cool. I'm going to make some shortcuts based on that. Um, but also Yoink is a really good, really, really good um, shelf app for iPhone, iPad, and the Mac. And they have shortcuts integration as well. And uh, when it comes to email app with shortcuts integration, it's going to be a boring answer, but I really think that Apple Mail is your best bet, if only because you, you have those uh, first-party advantages that third-party developers cannot offer at the moment. So that integration with like triggers, for example, in automations, you can, you can trigger automations uh, when you receive a message from a specific sender in Apple Mail. And that's only possible with the Apple Mail app. But also you have deep integration in mail, in shortcuts for mail to send messages, even without showing the message composer. So you can compose an email message and you can send it programmatically from shortcuts without showing any UI. So, and obviously the action has access to all of your um, already configured accounts in, in mail. So it's really well done. So I think you should, you should give a try to uh, mail for sure. And then maybe any buffer as a slight edge over Yoink at the moment. Um, so maybe maybe start with that. Any buffer ML, I think it's a really good combination. All right. Our last question of today, uh, Andreas asks, is there any way to see how much storage is left on an external USB drive when it's plugged into your iPad Pro? Uh, so you can definitely, I mean... USB drives, they show up in the Files app now, which is great. But as far as seeing how much storage is left, that seems like the kind of thing that should be supported, but I don't know that it is. I don't think it's displayed. And I'm thinking of like, is there any third-party based 
way to get access to that. Um, I don't think so. Because third-party apps, if, if they want to show the USB drive connected to files, they're still going to use the document browser. And the document browser has the same UI of files. I know that I, was, I once put together a, short, um, a script in Scriptable that was able to access files on, a, on an external drive but there was no no way for me to query the storage status of the drive, just read and write access. So I don't think there is, unfortunately. This is really this is a really good request. This should be to- this should totally be possible, but I don't think it is at the moment. All right. Well, anyone that has questions about the iPad uh, or even questions about my ordering a MacBook Air. Uh, feel free to write in with the hashtag AskAdapt. Any tweet that you send that contains that hashtag, we'll see that and we may be able to answer your question in a future episode. Um, We we didn't talk about a challenge for next time. We haven't done a challenge recently. Um, Maybe the challenge... You want to give me a challenge? (laughs) I I feel like... Maybe the challenge is for you to use a Mac. Yeah, that's that's exactly what I was thinking. (laughs) Is uh, that I'm I'm going to... Self-assigned challenge that you've giving yourself yeah yeah i I gotta use a mac and and talk about the differences between the mac and the ipad i I, i've made a list already of things that i think i'm really gonna um wish were different on the mac and uh so i've got that running list going and but i'm sure there'll be even more things some some pros some cons of the mac um but yeah i'll uh i'll definitely be using a mac here in the next couple weeks assuming my my new air comes in time, and if not, then maybe I can just talk mm-hmm. about the my use of the Mac Mini a little bit and and mm-hmm. try using that for a more extended period of time. But uh, so we'll do that. It'll yeah, self assigned challenge. Um, all right, all right, that still counts. All right, uh, <laughs> this has been episode thirty eight of Adapt. I would like to thank our sponsors for this episode: Smile and Hover. If you want to find the show notes for today, you can go to our website, relay.fm slash adapt slash 38. And to follow us online, Federico is on Twitter and Instagram as at Vitici. That's V-I-T-I-C-C-I. You can find me on Twitter as at Iryan, T-L-D-R. That's I-R-Y-A-N, T-L-D-R. And both of us are writing at maxstories.net. Until next time, say goodbye, Federico. Arrivederci. Bye.